Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. And Lummis wanted to make L.A. famous. And he wanted to make L.A. famous for the sake of Los Angeles, for the sake of the library, and for the sake of Charles Lummis. So um, he had already become very famous and expert in fame by walking across the United States to come to Los Angeles. And he would file columns for the L.A. Times as he was walking across the United States. And this became a kind of – he was really one of the first publicity stunt journalists um, – uh, the bookshelves are now filled with those books. Uh, and he was the first to really perfect it as an art. And his idea was, let's start an autograph collection. He loved autograph books. He believed in the art of collecting autographs and in the power of the autograph book, which is, was at its peak in the 19th century in the United States. Um, school kids were, had autograph books. People were already signing yearbooks. Um, and he wanted to keep the tradition of the autograph book alive with the library. So he created stationery, custom stationery. Um, that you'll see in the book that said Los Angeles Public Library autographs, beautiful stationery. And he sent out the blank page to hundreds of people across the United States, people he identified and called people who count. And he asked them very simply to, in his words, improve upon the page. And so they could leave signatures, which some did, but most of them sent back something more elaborate, paintings, watercolors, poems, speeches, excerpts from novels, um, commentaries about Los Angeles and Southern California. Um, and he amassed this collection between 1906 and 1910 of autographs of famous people outside of L.A. There were very few people from Los Angeles in the collection. Mostly were people from across the United States, politicians, zoologists, astronomers, um, entertainers. And it was his attempt to make the library famous. So when I saw this collection, it was quite striking. Um, but I immediately wanted to talk about what it meant beyond the collection itself. So beyond it being a document of famous people in the progressive era, the Gilded Age, about the very notion of who decides who counts, whose stories count, what does it mean to improve upon a page. Um, in the memory of Los Angeles, whose names are we going to remember, whose names and whose stories are we going to forget? And when I was talking to John Zabo, the current city librarian, about it, it turned out it's, it was his most favorite. Uh, of the special collections. And John was very, very encouraging um, to do this project. And so it became a project that was both about paying respect to that original collection, but then opening it up to think about the politics of memory. So we held an autograph day um, last year um, where at select branch libraries across Los Angeles, anybody who wanted to could come and improve upon the page of the library stationery. We reprinted the stationery. Uh, we created beautiful replicas of it with Aardvark Letterpress. It was the longest running, um, still in, in existence, letterpress in Los Angeles by MacArthur Park. And they created beautiful replicas of the original stationery. Um, they do amazing work, so if you're having parties or printing business cards, go support them. Uh, and we invited anybody who wanted to come out and improve upon the page. And that meant we got everybody from Abby Sanchez, who was three and a half, who scribbled all over the page. It was her first visit ever to a library, um, to people who wrote about writing their first script that they ever sold in a branch library, um, to 
uh, young African-American teenagers writing about police violence and uh, memorializing um, young African-Americans who've been killed by LAPD. And we had autographs by LAPD officers, one of whom included his badge number and just wrote, show me your hands. We had a diversity of voices from the city and all of those are in this book alongside the original collection. The library kept collecting autographs sporadically beyond 1910, very sporadically, and that meant they had autographs that would come in from people like Langston Hughes, for example, who did a handwritten poem in 1935, Arna Bontemps, um, the great Filipino writer, uh, Carlos Bulasan, left a typed autograph. Um, the founder of Tommy's Burgers signed a Tommy's Flyer. It's the most that's the most valuable autograph in the whole collection. Um, and the autograph, the, the, the library also collected um, very more recently um, an amazing autograph book from 1969, from the launch of Apollo 11. And this was a project that the LA Times and the radio station KLAC did, where they asked anybody in Los Angeles who wanted to leave a note for the astronauts in Apollo 11. Um, to collect autographs on their block and, send, and then send them in to KLAC and KLAC then cut, literally cut up those autographs and pasted them into this massive autograph book which is now on display. The Central Library is part of our exhibition that accompanies this book. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, and you can see examples of it throughout the gallery in, inside the book. And um, that book is in English, in Mandarin, in Spanish. It contains um, entire neighborhood blocks of autographs. It contains elementary school classes, summer camp groups, uh, all leaving their autograph for the astronauts. When I first saw that book at the beginning of this project, it really helped put this whole thing into perspective for me. And there was one, if you'd like to turn to your pages, Autumn, I'm giving you flashbacks, uh, to page, page 50. You can see it. As I saw on this long register of names, the name Robert Ibarra, and Robert wrote his name in big, 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 big letters, block letters. And above it, he wrote, I'll never make it, so I'll make it big. And that idea that somebody would understand or believe that he didn't matter, that somebody would forget him, that he knew he would not be the one to be remembered, and therefore he is gonna do everything he can to leave a mark that you can't miss. And I didn't miss his mark. I looked at, this book is huge. It's hundreds and hundreds of pages. And I didn't miss it. He made sure that I noticed his name, and I've now said his name probably 50 times over the past two months since his book has come out. And that became what this project was about, was about how people in Los Angeles choose to leave their mark in such a way that they're intervening into the history of the city, intervening into the politics of memory and who's remembered. When we think about autographs, in LA, we usually think about celebrities, with good reason. We are, to a certain degree, a celebrity town. Celebrity and fame have helped build this city, among other factors, of course. Um, we think of autographs, we think of Grauman's Chinese, we think of handprints, knee prints, if you're Al Jolson. Um, think of footprints in the cement. We think of SUVs full of headshots and Sharpies driving around trying to bum rush celebrities for a paparazzi autograph that can be resold on eBay or on, a, um, on an online memorabilia marketplace for top dollar for, a, for a, a celebrity's signature. And that's a part of this story too, even though it was 
to be honest, less interesting to me, um, but it was a big part of this project. And the library has an incredible photo collection that we also feature in the book that contains lots of celebrity photographs of celebrities giving autographs, signing their name in cement, but also signing their name on paper. Um, I'm looking right across from the Robert Ibarra page at Joan Crawford giving an autograph to a soldier at the Hollywood Canteen in 1943. So I'll read a little bit about that idea. To Josh, a future Dodger, Tommy Lasorda signed a picture of himself for me when I was in fourth grade. It didn't fit in my index card-sized autograph book with brown plastic covers and fake gold autographs lettering, but I kept it close to me anyway, and it quickly became my favorite of the few autographs I already treasured. That is, until a few years later, when I went to a record fair at the Century Plaza Hotel. Keynote speaker was Anita Baker. It's going to mean something to some of you. And I got the autograph that day from the rapper Egyptian Lover. He signed his 12-inch LP single of Egypt, Egypt with a black Sharpie and immediately beat Tommy Lasorda at the dedication game. To Josh. Boom, homeboy. I've had the album framed ever since, and it's now hanging in my office right next to an LP once owned by my late grandfather, signed and dedicated to him by his version of Egyptian lover, Ray Conniff. To Mort, with my sincere thanks, happy listening. I never framed the Tommy Lasorda photo, probably because I knew that I would never be a Dodger in any future. But a boom homeboy? I still hold out for that. There have been stray autographs I've collected since, like the Spanish pop star Mona Bell, or even Barry Greg Brady Williams. But Egyptian lover's autograph still lights me up whenever I see it. Why? Because it places me in time. It manifests my taste. It reminds me who I've been and how I've wanted to be. People collect celebrity autographs for all sorts of reasons, but this is surely one of them. A name written in someone else's hand, gives us a piece of ourselves. So we hunt for them. We become hounds. We hunt and hound for ourselves. And there I'm referencing this idea of the autograph hound, the idea that people who collected autographs were, uh, as they were referred to in the 19th century, Washington Irving famously called people seeking literary autographs, um, the, the, the mosquitoes of literature. Um, the autograph boom in, in, in the U.S. was originally not about film stars, but about literary figures. People wanted to collect the autographs of famous writers. Um, so much so they became known as autograph hounds. And so there's a film that the uh, Walt Disney Studios made in 1939 that we have also on display, amazingly, a Disney film on loop for free in the public library, um, called The Autograph Hound, about Donald Duck, who's an autograph hunter who is trying to collect the autographs of all these famous actors um, on, a, on a film lot. And as he's collecting them feverishly, it turns out that they recognize him as someone of note and they want his autograph instead and they mob him. And it's, it's a very nice inversion uh, of the celebrity autograph story. So a lot of this book is about that legacy. We have some celebrities in here. Probably, the, for me, the most fun is that Angeline her autograph is in the book. People, I hope everyone knows who Angeline is at this point. What page is Angeline? Oh my God, I'm not a walking index. Uh, it's early. I think it's early on here. Very beginning. Very beginning. 
So Angeline, this is the only autograph, I think I can say this publicly, it's the only autograph that I paid for. Oh. <laughs> but I, I, feel, I feel good about that. Um, I also got a shirt, though. I got a T-shirt and a lipstick. The library got a lipstick kiss on her autograph. Page 40. Oh, my God, this is like class. This is so great. Um, and so there's a lot of images of celebrity, um, the history of celebrity autographs in the book. Um, restaurants like Earl Carroll's that put celebrity signatures on the wall of the restaurant. But there's also a lot of photographs and a lot of discussion, as you will see flipping through, of other forms of writing. Um, when we look at the history of the autograph, breaking it down etymologically, the auto, the self, the graph, the scratch, that there, ever since um, humans has, have, have existed, um, we have wanted to scratch ourselves onto walls, writing on the walls. It's an it's a ingrained instinct. Um, as Chaz Bohorquez, the great graffiti artist and painter, writes in this book that we're hardwired to write our names on whatever's around us so we're not forgotten. Uh, and so there's a lot of graffiti in the book. Um, there are a lot of tags in the book of people not just doing street art or murals uh, or big graffiti blow-up pieces or wild-style pieces, but simply tagging your name on the side of a building or a freeway overpass or the back of a billboard. Um, to mark up your city the way you would mark up the page or improve upon the page of the city, as the subtitle of the book says. And at the same time, there's a lot of photographs of um, covering up those autographs, whitewashing them, graffiti abatement. And this ongoing battle between whose names and whose writing is allowed to stay uh, and what stories are allowed to live on. And so as I was going through this, and there's lots of, for example, just as one example, on page 64, um, some, some tagging uh, at MacArthur Park that was about whose stories and whose revolutions get remembered. Uh, and then right underneath that, uh, Gary Leonard photograph of the Breed Street Shul in Boyle Heights, um, where Jewish paths in Boyle Heights are competing um, with contemporary Chicano tags uh, on the walls of the abandoned shul. And so the book also became about layers of memory in Los Angeles on the streets. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a second. But one of the, the kind of main thrusts that became something I had to think about in doing this was the fact that every time I would tell anybody, oh, I'm doing a book about signatures and autographs, they would say, well, no one signs anything anymore. The autograph's dead. We do digital signatures. We docu-sign any document we need to. If we want someone's autograph now, we take a selfie. Um, we don't sign credit cards anymore. We don't have to sign to pay anything. No one's learning cursive. You don't learn cursive, right? No. What? Just your name? That's it. Soon. And, you know, you can't, the kids aren't learning, learning cursive and the art of writing itself. And so we grapple with that a lot with this book, which is the legacy of the signature and the autograph. But the more I looked into it, the more I thought about it, of course, the autograph is not going anywhere. So I'll read a little bit about that contemporary context. About the fact that the faith in the signature persists. We still wait in long lines to have our favorite athletes sign a basketball or a jersey, to have authors sign our copies of their books. We shake their hands. We trade questions. We ask for personalized dedications. I asked Patti Smith and Valeria Luiselli to sign dedications to my daughter in books that will sit on shelves until she's old enough to read them and see that their words are especially meant for her. Artists still spend hours signing lithographs. 
There's a garish collector's market that still endows value upon the signature. But there's also a living room admirer's desire for proximity and intimacy, for the knowledge that even a copy of the original contains an original signature left by an actual hand connected to the actual person who leaned over that actual canvas for weeks or years. For all of our celebrity selfies, we still want LPs and posters and napkins and body parts signed. And the signed memorabilia trade, certificates of authenticity always included, is still holding on. And last year, in Tijuana, the signature made a stunning bid for relevance. Thousands of Central American migrants asking for asylum from the US government organized themselves into a waiting list by signing what became known as the notebook. They didn't sign with their phones or their faces or their eyes. They picked up a pen and left their name in ink on paper in the hopes, mostly in vain, that their name would be called next, that their signature would lead at last to sanctuary. The events unfolding around us as this book was going to press um, this past year included the so-called migrant crisis and ongoing battles over migration and refugees and citizenship, and also about unfolding battles over gentrification and neighborhood displacement and communities who were having to leave their home and the lack of their traces and lack of their stories that were left in the neighborhoods where they were from. I live very close to Highland Park where I started noticing and being very conscious of how many storefronts were being covered up or not covered up strategically to increase the new property value to have something that looks old behind your new sign to, cre to keep the original coldest beer in town uh, for your new business. These are layers that changed the way I started to see the city. Um, one autograph I didn't get, I should point out that there's uh, two people in the audience whose autographs are in the book. Uh, my friend and colleague Viet and my daughter Yamila. Um, there was one autograph I didn't get that I wanted, which was um, by the artist Lauren Halsey, um, who I, we tried to coordinate and didn't work. I keep thinking if I say this enough, she'll show up and she'll be like, here, dude, take it. Stop talking about me. Um, and I wanted Lauren's autograph, not only because she's a, just a brilliant artist and, and a wonderful person, but she's been working on this longitudinal project that some of you might know about called the Crenshaw, Hieroglyph Crenshaw Hieroglyphics District, which is actually a built environment that she's creating, uh, a physical structure that was, some of you might have seen at the Made in LA, um, two Made in LA's ago at the Hammer where it's covered, this physical structure, is covered with signs from her neighborhood in South Central, from storefronts, names of the missing, names of the killed, of the dead, um, names of heroes, um, African gods and goddesses. Uh, and it's a tribute to the names of her community and the names of her neighborhood. And in one of the interviews she gave about that project, she said that what motivated her to build those, to, to build that project and to do that project was that and I'm paraphrasing, that her people have been continually, she said, deleted and shuffled around. Deleted and shuffled around. And I was thinking through that, Nipsey Hussle was killed. He was deleted, shuffled around. And in his absence, the entire city left their names on walls, left his name on the wall, put candles up on the street, 
drew murals in an attempt to remember him as a way to remember themselves, knowing that they're going to be erased as well. And so I end my piece in this book with probably the most common autograph practice and signature practice um, that continues to this day, which is every single day in Los Angeles, hundreds of people go to the beach and write their names in the sand or leave their initials in the sand or have a drawing. And they do it knowing full well that it's going to be erased within minutes, knowing it'll be gone, but in the hopes that by leaving that trace, that maybe they'll outlast this present moment. And so this book has been, and this project and the exhibit that is up at the library is all about using this one little collection from 1906 as a way to think about the biggest questions, I think, facing Los Angeles today going forward, which is how do we deal with our past, whose stories are remembered, and are we brave enough to actually look out at the contemporary city and say the names of the people who are changing it before they're washed away and erased, deleted and, shuff and shuffled around. Happy to answer questions, hear your autograph stories, uh, and sign books if you want. Thanks for coming. Happy to answer before I have to turn on my cell phone for my daughter. <laughs> it was a good sport tonight. Hi. Do people who know Nipsey Hussle know Nipsey Russell? <laughs> I feel like that is both a literal question and a philosophical one. Uh, maybe. I hope so. Nipsey Hussle is a guide to Nipsey Russell. It's a gateway drug. Yeah. Nipsey, Nipsey Russell's not in the book. Mm. Sure. So California just signed an emergency legislative motion enacted for the strictest national prohibition. Um, despite the fact that voters were unsuccessful in their denial of the ever clear propensity to randomly ballot. Mm. So, I mean, if so, certain things like people can't be driven out of those conditions. Mm -hmm. They have to actually just clock in to get the credit Thank you for that question. Uh, 
Yes, I see hope out there. Um, do I think that we, there's a sea change? No, um, absolutely not. But I do think there's hope and there's there's struggle and resistance as strong as ever before. I think what's been really interesting in these last five years or so of gentrification debates, for example, is we've seen more organized resistance than ever before, um, particularly if you look at Boyle Heights as a model, um, where regardless of what you feel about those particular debates in Boyle Heights, the fact that community members in that in that area have organized and did what they thought was right to protect their neighborhood and succeeded. And, succeeded. and I think you're seeing that a lot. Now, the, you're also seeing Highland Park being an example, I already mentioned, where the gentrification in past eras, let's say gentrification might be synonymous with bodies who are coded as white who are moving into a neighborhood. And if you look in Highland Park, many of the new businesses on Figueroa especially are owned by people of color, not by white coffee shop owners. And that's also very, very important to talk about, that these changes in the economics of neighborhoods, while still predominantly break down in, into more traditional racial hierarchies, uh, are also getting more complicated and more nuanced to talk about. So um, do I see hope? Absolutely. I think there's more community work going on in Los Angeles right now than ever before. It's incredibly inspiring and incredibly powerful. It's also incredibly frustrating because there's all those efforts keep kind of hitting that wall of hypercapitalism, as you said. And the struggle with LA is that LA, when I teach my classes on Los Angeles, um, you know, one of the things we always talk about is that the long history of LA is the history of rapid urban development um, uh, at the expense of communities, of neighborhood displacement. But the role of culture in LA, there is no cultural production in LA that isn't a response to that in many ways. And so there's a whole encyclopedic body of art and culture of music um, that is always in response to trying to claim the city and claim the right to the city. And that's not unique to LA. I think that's a lot of what art and culture have always done globally. Um, but I think LA struggles over place in Los Angeles, music, visual art, um, performance. Um, murals, street art, played a, just a central role in trying to hold on to places that we can survive in. I'm not. I'm really not. Um, I, and I, you know, the ones I mentioned, the Time of the Sorda, the Egyptian Lover, those are the ones. The Greg Brady one was pretty big. Um, I can't find it, but it was a, for the sake of the story, it's very important. Uh, I went to interview Barry Williams um, at Post Brady Bunch. And I went to interview, he was doing a play. I was in college and I was writing for the, um, for the art section of the college newspaper. So I went to interview, <laughs> interview Greg Brady, and uh, I showed up to interview him, and I had just bought this, what I thought at the time was this really cute Gap 
blazer. Um, and I showed up, and he was wearing the same one. <laughs> and so I have this really great picture of the two of us together, and it says, it says, hey, Josh, nice jacket. You know, Barry. So, but I'm not, I, I'm not collecting autographs. Um, I collect other things, though, which I think fill that void in a, in, you know, in a way. Um, but I've definitely grown more sensitive and appreciative to the power of that, something left in someone's hand, you know, that we can take with us. Shepard Ferry, who wrote the intro to the book, talks about, for him, how important um, having other artists write their name on, let's say, an album of theirs that he has or a painting of theirs that he has um, because it's his way of, of having them close, right? And that idea of proximity and intimacy is something that, um, even though in a selfie we have it at that moment, um, I don't think it contains the trace in the way that, uh, you know, I mean, you know, when book signings, I think about it, as I mentioned, all the time, people still line up, as you know. I mean, people line up and want your autograph on a book, you know, and want your name on a book or want a dedication, and that's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. That's what, what <laughs> separates us from an internet bookseller. Uh, among other things, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm not an employee of the uh, LA Public Library, nor am I a librarian. The librarians would kill me if I said to the city of LA, please send in more things uh, for them to worry about. But. Yes. Um, if you have autographs and you have things that you think would be important for the city to not forget and to be preserved and to create metadata around and make available, I should say all the autographs in the Lummis collection, everything in this book and beyond, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds, are all accessible digitally um, on Tessa, which is a, the search engine of the library. You can go interact with all this stuff, including the menu book, including the sheet music book. It's all there. So I would say if it's something that you don't know what to do with, you should take it to the library. Yes. And blame me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, of, of doing handwriting analysis? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's something that we, I decided not to do in this book because I went down a, graph, a graphology wormhole of doing research around this. The, it's very interesting in the history of graphology of handwriting analysis um, that was also really tied to like the eugenics movement and there was some really kind of creepy stuff that came in with handwriting analysis that you could tell what kind of a person someone was by the way they wrote or um, what race a person was or what their temperament was or if they're prone for criminality and all these kinds of things. That graphology had some really interesting things about handwriting analysis and also some things that were tied up in some um, you know, incredibly problematic um, moments um, in American history. Um, we have a photograph in the book and a photograph in the exhibition that we've blown up on the wall that says handwriting analyzed. Of a, a, it's a beautiful shot of a, uh, of a booth, like a, just a little wooden booth where you could go and get your handwriting analyzed. We thought about having a handwriting analysis day, about having somebody there to actually analyze your handwriting, but we decided against it. Um, but you certainly can tell, I think, 
the lack of attention to the signature over time. I mean, you look at my signature now, like if you look at my signature versus signatures from 1906, they're elaborate. I mean, they're really elaborate and thought out. Um, and so I'm sure that there's a, a, a big story to tell. It's not one I tell in here. Um, in a way, that's one of the struggles with these projects is they're massive topics and I never feel like I've told the full stories when I finish these books. Um, as my publishers know, that I fight till the end. Like it's like every night, I'm like, let me add one more, one more thing, one more paragraph, because it's this panic that there's so much more to talk about and so much more to say. But my hope, like with the other books, is that um, maybe somebody reads this or you, uh, who says, you know, we need to do an LA graphology book, um, and that becomes the next book. So I'll be very happy about that if that happens. Now. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yes. So that was that's been something with all these collections. I look at them, I go, whoa, look at all this stuff. And then you go, oh whoa, look what's not in there. And that's always become the mantra of these projects, which is that what an archive is or what a special collection is, is as much what's in the collection as what's omitted and what's erased or not included. All collections and archives are products of subjective curatorial selection, right? Um, now, that said, the autograph collection on first look, it is dominated by white men of elite power. Um, but then the deeper dive, there's other stories there. So we highlight, for example, we highlight people like John Muir, for sure, uh, but also Charlotte Perkins Gilman, um, pioneering feminist reformer, right, that Lummis took her cyanotype photograph and it's part of her autograph. Um, uh, Charles Chestnut, early, crucially important African-American writer and statesman is in the collection. Booker T. Washington's in the collection. Um, and so there, it took digging, right, to find this portrait. But it ends up being a fairly, I think, um, realistic portrait of Gilded Age and progressive era um, elite cultures across race and across gender. Most of the, not most, many of the, of the artists that are featured in that collection are women. Um, early, er, early women sculptors um, are featured in the book. But I plucked a lot of those on purpose to tell that story. Um, Autograph Day produced a whole other thing, um, but it was certainly a big part of my process, um, both with Autograph Day and then of saying, like, of asking just people who I would see or, um, you know, people that I happen to know and work with, like Viet, to say, like, would you, would you do one? And, you know, to get different voices um, to make sure that multiple stories are represented in this book um, and that the collection is filled out in that way. So that was a really, really, really important part um, of visit, kind of visiting and revisiting this collection. You have to sign so many copies, yeah. <laughs> My signature is awesome. <laughs> that is true, that's true, yeah. I think, I don't know, that's a good question, I don't know. I think people were signing hundreds, not thousands. Certainly not the way we do now if someone says, okay, now you gotta go sign your 
thousand books for a big company book buy or something like that. Um, it'd be interesting. Other people here might know more about the history of publishing and kind of the size. I don't know, Jim, if you know of the kind of size of original publishing runs and how that's changed over time. It's a super good question. Um, but I think it was also more of a prized thing that, you know, to have that signature was so singular, where now, as I mentioned, you know, it's just, it is this good, there's a little bit of massification, you know, of just like, or signing stock, you know, like signing book stock at a bookstore. Um, then this keeps happening with this book, where people say like, oh, would you sign the book? And they open it, and I've already signed it. Thank you. I, I, I'm glad you're here to make me feel bad about my name. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> Mean something. I hope. I. I don't know about the expensive part. I mean, I'm always. You know, I always joke when I sign books. Like, do you want me to personalize it or leave it blank so you can sell it? Um, uh, I. I don't know. I think. I. I do think people know. I do. I think, especially. Someone was just telling me a story the other day of an autograph they got. I can't remember who it was of a. Of an author who left. Who took like five minutes and left a drawing. You know, and that kind of care, I think not just the like, here you go, but what's your name? Oh, and what's the date today? And, you know, what was your favorite part or something like that? That you take that care, that's a, it's a micro relationship that's established. That again becomes part of you and, and, and you take with you. Yeah, you and me both. There's something about him hanging directly on that wall. Yep. And like it connected with me to the idea that a child dreams of the girl on the back or something. Mm -hmm. It just seemed like a magical. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, and I'm eternity is one thing, I guess, a woolly mammoth meant for eternity. But I'm pretty sure if someone got a good woolly mammoth up on a tree, it didn't want to show it to the world. Yeah, but I think it's also about how those things are read. So like one of the things that I talk about in the book is before Lemus comes to LA, he went to uh, El Moro uh, National Monument in New Mexico um, on the land of the Zuni Pueblo, um, which was known as inscription rock. And it was a rocks covered in signatures left by Spanish explorers. And he was so taken with the writing of Spanish explorers who would say their name and then say, paso por aquí, pa I passed by here or he passed by here, um, to say that we were here. Those signatures were, were marked on top of Native American petroglyphs, right, and Native rock art. Lummis was, at that moment, so taken with the Spanish signatures that he, didn't, he was less taken and didn't write so much at that time about the Native rock art. And that became, a, a, again, part of the story of this is that of, of kind of um, he openly celebrated the heroism of the, uh, you know, he, he wrote constantly about the heroes who wrote on the wall, what he then called autograph cliff. 
Um, but he didn't write about the communities and people that those heroes potentially destroyed and wrote over. And I think that that, again, is part of this cyclical story in LA and arguably elsewhere um, of the heroes and the settlers and the conquerors whose names are remembered on street signs, on freeways, um, at the expense of all the names that are forgotten. What factors determine the market value? I do not know the answer to that. I'm proud that I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I actually don't know. I, I imagine there's some scarcity involved. I imagine when someone dies, the value goes up. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. How rare something is, obviously, drives the price up. And death certainly helps a sale. Thank you all for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.